African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Good morning and welcome. Welcome here to African Dialogue. You tuned in to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama and you're currently listening to us here on Channel Africa on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today we are looking at uh, the discussion of the role of sports in the process of the reconciliation in South Africa and how sports reshape the country as it celebrates its 20th. 20th anniversary. But before we get into that particular topic, let's get an update from the news desk. Standing by is Anne Musa. In the headlines, Syria destroys 92% of its chemical weapons, kidnapped Nigerian schoolgirls have reportedly been seen on buses, and hundreds of Congolese victims of a train crash buried in mass graves. Good morning. Syria has has disposed of more than 92% of its declared stockpile of chemical weapons material. This is according to the head of the joint mission of the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons and the United Nations, the OPCW. The weapons were either removed from its territory or destroyed in our special coordinator of the joint mission of the OPCW and the UN, Sigrid Kach, hails it as a significant achievement which has been accomplished in a short period of time and under difficulty under difficult security conditions. UN spokesperson Stefan Dujuric elaborates. However, she added that nearly 8% of Syria's declared chemical weapons material remain on its territory. This should be removed in the shortest possible time frame despite the difficult situation. Ms. Cog added that in recent weeks there have been renewed allegations of toxic chlorine gas attacks in several different parts of the country. All necessary steps should be taken to establish the facts surrounding these unsubstantiated allegations. At least 200 schoolgirls abducted in northeast Nigeria by the radical Islamist group Boko Haram have been seen by witnesses being moved in buses to an unknown location. The Nigerian news website Niger.com reports that the girls were seen on seven buses in Borno State where they were kidnapped from their boarding school two weeks ago. The army on Sunday said that it had identified the camps where the girls were being held but was cautious about initiating an offensive against the kidnappers. For fear of injuring the detainees. 
South Sudanese civilians seeking shelter from violence have been taken from the United States capital, Bintu, by United Nations peacekeepers. The UN mission in South Sudan, Anmus, has also reported fighting between government and opposition forces in Mayom. The latest report says Mayom is currently under SPLA control, although fighting persists. South Sudan continues to suffer insecurity and destabilization as government forces battle rebels loyal to former Vice President Rahik Masham. Spokesperson of the Secretary General Stefan Dujuric has more. In Bentu itself, peacekeepers extracted 16 civilians, including one female and one child, from various locations around town and brought them to the protection of civilian sites in the UN compound. The mission also accepted 200 patients from Bentu Hospital who arrived at its gate yesterday. Currently, some 22,500 civilians are seeking shelter with the UN mission site in Bentu. Between 100 and 200 victims of a train crash in the DRC have been buried in mass graves. The Congolese Red Cross says this has cast doubt on the official death toll of 74. Many people were trapped for days in the mangled wreckage of the goods train nearly a week ago. The train was bursting with illegal passengers when it slipped off the rails in a swampy and inaccessible part of the country. Officials say nine carriages are yet to be searched for bodies and possible survivors. And finally, a South African mother accused of murdering her three children with disabilities is due to appear in court in London for a bail hearing today. 42-year-old Tanya Clarence was arrested last week after the bodies of the children were found at their home in South London. Her husband, Gary Clarence, arrived in court ahead of the bail hearing. The 43-year-old investment banker was in South Africa at the time of the alleged murders along with the couple's 8-year-old daughter. The three children found dead at their home suffered from a life-limiting genetic condition, spinal muscular atrophy. Tanya and Gary Clarence moved to the UK from South Africa several years ago. Tanya Clarence will appear in court again on the 9th of May for a preliminary hearing. Recapping the top stories. Syria destroys 92% of its chemical weapons. Kidnapped Nigerian schoolgirls have reportedly been seen on buses and hundreds of Congolese victims of a train crash buried in mass graves. You are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. I did mention that today our topic is uh, the role of sports in the process of reconciliation in South Africa and how sports reshaped the country as it now celebrates its 20th anniversary. And uh, most South Africans agree that the successful hosting of major international sporting events has helped to boost social cohesion and unity in South Africa. Now, for example, in 2009, South Africa successfully hosted the Confederations Cup, a rehearsal even before the highly successful 2010 FIFA World Cup. Last year and this year, the country maintained a 
its hosting track record by successfully hosting the African Nations Cup and the Chan tournaments respectively. Now to join us on this particular topic, we joined on the line by Raymond de Hack, who is the former South African uh, Football Association's Chief Executive Officer and also we have Kujo Amankwa, who is a sports commenta- uh, commentator rather in South Africa. Now, I want to start with Raymond Hack. Welcome to the program, sir. Uh, thank you, Benjamin, and good afternoon, listeners. Now, as and South Africa job. now celebrates 20 years of freedom, has sports played a role in helping in the process of reconciliation in the country? Yes, most most definitely, because I think where you have to go is you have to look at the grassroots. You know, they say a generation is 10 to 20 years, mm. and the children of today have never been through the experiences of apartheid. Uh, they are joyous children. Uh, they are able to mix freely with whoever they want, when they want, and why they want. So from that point of view, it, it certainly uh, ha- has integrated uh, people and made people uh, a one nation. Mm. Um, as to the ability to host, um, I think South Africa has always had the ability because of uh, maybe it was part of the infrastructure from before, which uh, in the new democracy we were able to maintain and better. So we are certainly amongst the, um, let's say, forerunners of hosting any event should South Africa so decide. Because if you look at the essentials uh, which are required, it's basically telecommunication, medical, transportation, uh, safety and security. And I think we've proved beyond any doubt that, you know, the stories that uh, emanate from South Africa, that it's this type of place and that type of place. I mean, uh, Kujo will recall as well, the same as I do, that, you know, prior to us hosting the uh, 2010 World Cup, there were uh, stories going around in the United Kingdom that there were snakes in the rooms and stuff like that. (laughs) So that perception has certainly been done away with. Um, So I'm very positive on that. I think the only downfall... Uh, that we haven't been able to capture yet is we haven't been able to get, um, let's say, the youngsters of today to the level that we would like them to be to uh, ensure that once we participate in these international events, we're able to achieve the uh, rewards and we're able to achieve the standards which are expected of countries that are able to host. Now, we'll come back to development a little bit later. Kujo, what's your view in terms of sports being this vehicle uh, in helping the country in the process of reconciliation uh, coming from a very much uh, apartheid history to this new democracy? I'll tell you, you know, as uh, Mr. Raymond speaks, my mind is that uh, cast around 1995, and mm-hmm. I think the visual will stay with the rest of South Africa and Africa and the globe forever. When the then president, uh, President Nelson Mandela, wore the, the Springboard jersey number five and, and marched onto the stadium, and, and, and there were some maybe 50,000, 62,000 at Ellis Park, but there were almost uh, 40,000 South Africans. And by that same gesture, I tell you, the country united and transformed in a way that goes beyond words. 
And from then after, even the Africaners who were hardcore begin to have a soft, a soft spot for, for reconciliation and nation building. And I've got no doubt in my mind that in 1995, the singular most important gesture of uh, President Mandela wearing uh, the, the captain of Swimbol jersey and going to the stadium and the visuals beam around the world sort of uh, 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 paved the way for real nation building and reconciliation. And I can tell you, sports have the capacity and the potential to unite people like never before in areas where even politicians cannot. And mm. in a way, 20 years into democracy, I think uh, sports have played a very significant role in ensuring that uh, we build a rainbow nation and a united nation, although given the fact that South Africa is a country of diversity, sports is playing its part to unite its own diversity divert people or a different segment of society. Now, that's a very euphoric view that we're getting right now. I mean, we know that South Africa was banned uh, from the 1964 Summer Olympics in Tokyo due to the apartheid policy, and this ban effectively lasted until 1992. And we know that during this time, some sports people like Zolabad and Kepler vessels left for other countries in order to compete internationally. Now, some athletes continued their uh, sports career in the time in South Africa in, in isolation with some stars uh, like uh, uh, the 400 meters runner Myrtle Bothma who was running a world record time at the South African Championships. Now, I want to know from you, uh, Raymond, after this particular uh, ban uh, was uh, removed in the country, what were the advantages for South Africa uh, after this particular ban was removed in the country? How did South African sports move forward? Well, certainly from an international perspective, uh, the sport was able to move forward because those those uh, athletes who weren't able to avail themselves of the opportunity of matching their skills against uh, overseas and international uh, athletes had that opportunity. Whether they took that opportunity or whether they were able to because of financial constraints and the, the seemingly reluctance of business to uh, support them is, is another debate. But certainly, once the gate was open and once the door was open, they were able to compete. Uh, I think where, again, and I come back to this, the fact that we weren't able to get our standards as quickly up to what we as South African sports people, because you must remember, sports people in South Africa, I would say, are probably the most passionate in the world. Mm. Um, uh, You know, they talk about Australia and they talk about the United Kingdom and the USA. But you speak to any sports uh, person here, they are passionate about their sport, whether it's the climate, whether it's the country that we live in, but everybody loves their sport. And, you know, for an athlete to go overseas, he has to think very long and hard for what he's um, going to give up. And, you know, I I just have to equate uh, a player who used to play for me, uh, who played for England, who played for Manchester United, Gary Bailey. Mm. And if you, you speak to Gary, he'll tell you how tough it was for him to go from the confines of South Africa to the United Kingdom. If you speak to Lucas, it's still Masinga. These players took the chance. Yes, they gained the reward. Yes, they gained the recognition. But it wasn't as easy as, let's say, an American youngster moving or a a European youngster moving to America or anything because our cultures are different, our, our climates are different, um, and, you know, um, 
in, in South Africa, we're probably known as one of the friendliest countries in the world, and I think Kujo will uh, allude to that. Uh, but what happens is when you go overseas, you don't make the same type of friends as you do to confide in. Mm. You make acquaintances uh, because they've all got their own lives. And I think this is one of the biggest hardships that uh, athletes face when they go overseas because nine times out of ten they are alone except maybe for uh, a coach. You know, if you think of a swimmer, he has Mm. to go into a new environment in the United States uh, with people he doesn't know, people he didn't grow up with. If you speak to a tennis player, if you speak to a footballer, And these are all challenges which I think we as the public tend to forget sometimes because we expect all our people, um, you know, just to click straight away. It took Steven Pinar, who was a brilliant footballer, a long time to get used to the culture. But he was able to because he had a stepping stone. He went to the Netherlands. From the Netherlands, he went into the United Kingdom. Uh, Sirani has done the same type of thing. So it, it was a little bit easier for them. But I think for a lot of the other athletes, it's very, very hard. Well, uh, we want to hear from you, our listener. What do you think about this topic? How does the sports play a role in our societies? Maybe you from a different country and not necessarily uh, South Africa, maybe somewhere else in the continent. How does a sports shape your country? Does it make you more proud about a country? Is there a way whereby that um, it brings forth some form of patriotism into our lives? Let us know your views by SMSing us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That's plus two seven eight two three three two three two five nine zero five. But also you can interact with us on our African Dialogue uh, Twitter handle. That is at African Dialogue. Now coming back, we'll continue with our guests and speak about the achievements in sports for South Africa as it celebrates twenty years of democracy. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. Today we are speaking sports and how it played a role in the reconciliation process in South Africa and how today sports still reshapes the way uh, the country feels about itself as it celebrates its 20th anniversary. And on the line we do have Raymond Hack, who's the former South African Football Association Chief Executive Officer. And also we have a sports commentator in the country, Kujo Amankwa, who's also joining us on the line. Now, I want to come back to you, Kujo. Uh, when referring to the achievements in sports in the country, does South Africa have reasons to celebrate the, the, the achievements in sports itself after 20 years of its democracy? Oh, yes. There's no doubt in my mind. South Africa have got a lot to celebrate in the area of sports. And I'll take you back to the Olympics in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Josette Wani won the marathon. 
and by then I was working for Sweatan and the then editor, the late Dr. Agri Klasse, had to drive from home to the office mm. because it's a sporting story and you have to rejuggle the paper and take a Giuseppe Wani story to the first page and take the first page story into the inside pages. Mm. Now you can see the amount of work that was in. And for me to see Giuseppe Wani winning that uh, uh, gold medal and taking the South African flag and raising the hand, I mean, it was one moment that brought a lot of joy to South Africans and given his historical and circumstances proud to go into the Olymp- Olympic Games in Atlanta it told a lot of different stories uh, Raymond Hacker for already mentioned players of the caliber of Lucas Kadebe, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Stephen Tina these are uh, sporting personalities uh, that have excelled at the highest level on the global stage and they give joy and they bring a sense of patriotism to their compatriots and for me it tells that even though South Africa has come to a very difficult period, but in its citizens, the, 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 the triumph of, of the spirit of adversity demonstrate on the sporting page. And when we go further, the likes of Penny Hayes, who even though not having one leg, went into the swimming pool, brought a lot of gold medals to South Africa. Mm. And if you, if you look at it, these are the people that give hope to the people. These are the people that are role models and that are helping craft and create a better, united, uh, uh, civil South African society that uh, youngsters can look forward to this people and say, if Penny Hayes can do it, I can do it. If Stephen Binah can do it, I can do it. If Josiah uh, 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 Tuwani, who was almost hijacked, almost a month before Atlanta, and went on and did what he did, yeah. they can do it. I can also do it. I've got no doubt in my mind, there are many individual sports icons in the country that have done a lot to demonstrate that in the area of sports, yes, South Africa have done well and excelled. Now, it's fantastic to hear Kujo's uh, enthusiasm. Raymond, your views on uh, the things to celebrate in sports after 20 years of democracy. No, most definitely I agree with Kujo. You know, everybody expects, uh, yes, you you should do well in the big sports, the rugby's, uh, the cricket, the mm. football, you should be there. But, you know, could you have mentioned the smaller sports? I mean, you just have to look uh, two weeks ago. You have uh, an athlete by the name of Ernst van Dijk, who's now won the Boston Marathon in the wheelchair category ten times. You had Natalie Detoy, uh, who was an af- absolute inspiration. Um, <laughs> Josiah Tugwani, you've had Roland Skuman, you've had um, Ray Nietling. You know, you can rattle them off. And for a country like South Africa, we don't go to the Olympics uh, to merely participate. You know, I think Saf, a lot of criticism has been leveled at Safcock. Uh, take this athlete, take that athlete. Uh, they take athletes who are going to achieve. And as I said earlier, South Africans want achievement. They don't want participation because participation for me is merely a token. Uh, it's to say, I went there and I, I had a good time. Why do you train so hard? Why do you put so much effort? Why does everybody, uh, you know, follow you if it's not to achieve at the highest level? And I think South Africans can certainly hold their heads up very, very high amongst the best in the world and say, you know what, uh, for South Africa, we have certainly done it and we have the athletes. And our athletes today are not scared mm. to compete against international athletes. You know, we have an athlete who, who participated in the 200 meters in the Olympic Games in London. 
He's a 21-year-old who goes to America by himself to a college and runs against Usain Bolt. And I mean, in the heats and stuff like that, he's third. Now, how many countries can say that they have athletes who can run uh, under 10 seconds for 100 meters? Uh, You know, it's it's mind-boggling the potential that we have in this country. And, you know, I just wish people would realize that this is created as a result of sport. And the fact that all sportsmen of any color, any race, any religion are able to interact freely with each other and achieve this. And, and, and for me, it's, you know, it, it makes me proud to be a South African. Fantastic. Now, you spoke about the word realization and it came out for me. Uh, we know that, as uh, Kudzo has explained earlier on, uh, the former president and the first black South African uh, president, for that matter, Nelson Mandela, uh, has been known as the first global leader to use sports as a tool to unite people and to redefine a country's international image. Are South Africa's leaders today still on track? Would you say that sports is still central to the leaders of this country's beliefs, Raymond? Um, I, I think it's a very difficult question because there, is only, there was only one Nelson Mandela. There can only ever be one Nelson Mandela. So his vision would be totally different from any other politician. Hello? Yeah, we're right here with you. Yeah, I think what he has proved is that the road that he took in making sport uh, the tool for reconciliation uh, is, is something that will always work. Whether other political leaders in various other countries or in our own country have the same passion. You know, if, if I just look at Nelson Mandela's time, and I was fortunate enough to have met him on a number of occasions, mm. uh, his knowledge was unbelievable. I remember meeting him when uh, he was still uh, incarcerated uh, and, uh, you know, when we had the, the then the National Professional Football League. He knew all the teams, he knew everything. But he also had a Minister of Sport, the late Minister Steve Twerty, who was passionate, absolutely passionate mm. about sport. And I, I think, uh, you know, whoever will be the new minister has to have that driving passion. I think we were fortunate, Minister Stefili, Minister Mbalulu are all very passionate. But for, for me, sport is, you know, it, it's just something to get out there, to just take a walk on any day through any suburb. You will see people walking, running, riding. That's the nature of South Africans. Uh, they want to be out there. Some of them want to be uh, world champions. And they sacrifice so much to do it. So for me, it's uh, definitely a tool that can be used. Whether other countries choose to use it, obviously that's their choice. Now, uh, Kujo, your views on this, because we know that most analysts are saying South Africa's journey from a racist state to a rainbow nation was achieved largely because sports had played a major unifying role. But right now we are seeing... a lot of fragmentation in our politics and the country lacks a sense of patriotism. Do you think that the current leaders are using sports as a unifying force? Given what uh, the explanation Mr. Raymond Hart uh, has given, I, I think uh, the, the, 
current leaders have different set of challenges and in a way maybe they drop their eyes a bit of the ball in as far as uh, using sports as a tool to, to try to work for the country because if you look at Mandela, Mandela's era, there was six Slater who was a minister for sport and we used to call him literally Mr. Fixit. Although the current minister of sports is a youngster and he's got the energy and he speaks all the right languages but the, 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 the challenges today on the ground is different mm. and in a way from my own personal view I'm thinking the current administration is not using sport the way they should as to how Mandela used it because Mandela knew that sports have the potential to speak in a way where even politicians cannot and he understood the essence of sports because let me tell you something I sit under a tree and I'm hungry and my country is playing against any other country when a goal is scored I literally instinctively naturally wakes up and celebrate mm -hmm. and forget that I'm hungry that is the power of sports and when I'm hungry and a minister or a president speaks to me to say don't worry you are going to get food I'm going to get angry but you see when a goal is scored when Josiah Tumani have crossed the line and raised the South African flag and everybody is humiliating for a moment I forget about my hunger and I think currently maybe this is an area we sort of uh, need to help the current administration under the presidency of Jacob Zuma to begin to understand so that they can revert back and use force as a catalyst in building and, and, and building bridges building the country building the economy because sports have got a rippling effect on society let's tell you if Bafana Bafana qualified for the World Cup the country will be a buzz and if South Africa qualifies people walk into the office with their chest up because people are very excited and very proud and when people are happy and patriotic, they go into the office and they work. Yeah. So production improves. And then these are the area we need to look and evaluate and, and ensure that we go back and use that same tool, the very same understanding that President Nelson Mandela used to get this country on its feet for it to work and hence be labeled a rainbow nation so that South Africa can work for all. As I stand here, I can tell you what, you know, in terms of history, historically, South Africa, by nature and by, by, by history, is required to succeed. Not just for Israel, but for the sake of the entire continent. Because, in other words, the first president of Ghana, who sort of led to the liberation of the African continent, said, yeah. Africa shall see no peace until such a time that South Africa is free. In other words, the true liberation of the African continent will stem from the South. Meaning, by the day South Africa is truly free and everything is working here, historically, socially, economically, religiously, then Africa will be lifted up. So South Africa yeah. as a country have a huge responsibility, not just to itself, but to the rest of the continent. And that's why some of us are here from Ghana and trying to maybe mingle and learn and study and begin to play a small role to ensure that even if we live here to our respective country, we will be able to take what we have learned here to go and implement it in our country so as to help and lift the rest of the continent. Well, that's fantastic. It's great to actually facilitate this particular conversation to Today we are speaking about the uh, the role of sports in the process of reconciliation in South Africa and how sports reshape the country as it celebrates its 20th anniversary. And I love what uh, Kujo Manko was saying there, that it's actually not just uh, an, an event, but it also has to do with uh, a pride of a nation, a pride also of a continent. How do you think that uh, um, sports shapes our communities? How does it shape our societies? Let us know your views. Plus two seven eight two three. 
0614-104-325-905 is our SMS number. When we come back, we'll be joined by Dr. Sam Ransemi, who is the International Olympics Committee member just after this short break. On the 7th of May this year, South Africans go to the polls to vote in general elections. This comes 20 years after the first fully democratic elections which saw the late Nelson Mandela become South Africa's first black president. Channel Africa will continue to bring you news concerning the run-up campaigning to the vote. African Dialogue will bring special election programming every Wednesday leading up to the week of voting. During the week of South Africa's general elections from the 5th to the 9th of May, join Africa Dialogue as we bring you live broadcasts from Election Central in Pretoria. So keep listening to Channel Africa to be up to date about the South African general elections. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. May 7 is that day where we'll be looking at the uh, the elections in South Africa and that's when people will be making their mark on the continent. So tomorrow we will be giving you an update there on what's happening right now in South Africa when it comes to the elections in the country. But today we're discussing uh, the role of sports in our countries and especially looking at the process of reconciliation in South Africa and how sports was this pivotal uh, area whereby uh, people used it as a form of, uh, uh, you know, bring us together as a country. Now, today, we are looking at, as uh, the country celebrates its 20th anniversary, this issue of how sports did that for us. And joining us on the line, we do have Dr. Sam Ransemi, uh, the International Olympics Committee member. Welcome to the program, Dr. Thank you very much, Benjamin. Now, let us know your views in terms of... Uh, uh, you played a pivotal role in, in sports uh, in, in the country, and I know that you, you were very much involved in campaigning against apartheid uh, in London as well. Tell us the transition for you and when you, what you saw, this, this tool of sports being this uh, unifying force. We want to know your views, Doctor. Yeah. In fact, uh, immediately after... Um uh, it was agreed uh, um, um, when Nelson Mandela and the other uh, colleagues of his uh, were released from prison that sport has a very crucial role, co- uh, role a very important role, uh, in fact a very essential role in uniting the people. Because in the past there was division and I had lengthy discussions with Nelson Mandela, with Thabo Mbeki, with the President Zuma and many others. And we said this is an ideal opportunity where we had in the past boycotted all apartheid structures, including sport. And let's bring them together because largely the boycott was against white sport. Um, although not all of them were uh, pro-apartheid, there were elements which, who were anti-apartheid. But nevertheless, it was white sport simply because they were the privileged group and black South Africans were not allowed to represent South Africa. So how do we bring them together? And they felt that sport is going to play a very important role. In the beginning, when I discussed this particular issue with uh, uh, Nelson Mandela and many of his colleagues, you know, I was a bit skeptical. I said, look, you know, um, it's not fair that so many of um, uh, our anti-apartheid activists had made so many sacrifices. Now we give in everything because we want unity. Mm. But then 
we realize that sport was part of the overall struggle and therefore we need to keep it within the overall context of what South Africa wants in the beginning. And we said, now we show the white people that we were not against them, but we were against apartheid. And let's bring them together because we want a united South Africa. And, and there, most people who benefit were the white organizations like cricket, uh, rugby, uh, athletics, and many of these organizations which were largely white and the sports people were largely white, mm. they benefited as a result of that. But that was the result of reconciliation, and I accepted it. In fact, many of my colleagues within the uh, anti-apartheid struggle said, said that I was, um, uh, in fact, letting the cause down. I was betraying the cause. But then I said, look, we, we need to bring them in now. How do we bring them in? We have to bring them in to, uh, to indicate that we were not against them, but we were against apartheid. That was the basic reason why we had the structure in the beginning in 1992. To such an extent that even before the first democratic election in 1994, Nelson Mandela and the ANC agreed that this is an ideal opportunity in 1992 that we take a South African team to Barcelona for the Olympic Games, and we did this. Mm. We're far advanced in very many areas, even within the political spectrum of South Africa. Now, Doctor, I want to know from you, Dr. Ransemi, uh, we spoke about the narrative of sports since it started, the successes, how we won the 1995 Rugby World Cup, uh, the picture of Nelson Mandela presenting the World Cup to Francois Pinard, also South Africa winning the Africa Cup of Nations in 1996. There have been so many uh, uh, really much victorious moments in our country that we've seen over the last 20 years. Would you say standards and performance have improved over the uh, past 20 years of freedom. Do you think there should be an emphasis on a development? Uh, there, there's no doubt standards have improved simply because we're looking at uh, the, the, the international dimension and international rationale in how we do it. And in that particular respect, uh, you know, the, the rationale is we have to improve. There has been improvement, but sadly, the improvement in many sports benefited the white population simply because they had more access to sports facilities and they were better off financially like in most sports even up to now the parental uh, involvement of white people is still very high in sport compared to parental involvement of black people that again we can't help it because black mothers have to get up four o'clock in the morning and trudge all the way from from the townships into the the main uh, central uh, business areas to to uh, fortify our structures they've got and and they're not in uh, there's not enough time for them to remain with the children that is a, a big issue and that is why society sports organizations have to take this into account in how we can provide opportunities for black youngsters now, I want to come back to you, Raymond. Uh, uh, we're talking about now transformation of sport. Is it taking place as we speak? Uh, we know right now that soccer is still seen as this exclusively black sports, cricket and rugby. We see it as exclusively white. Uh, what are the main challenges now when it comes to transformation in sports? Yeah, my, my well, person, I, I, yeah. Sorry, I, go, I, please I, go ahead. I, I think, go ahead. I think you have to look universally. And, you know, I, I think... Uh, Dr. Ramsamy is, is, is somewhat modest uh, in his uh, role that he played in the transformation. Because I'll just give you one example. 
the role that, let's say, Dr. Ramsamy played in changing South Africa and the role that Nelson Mandela changed in uh, bringing the sports, sporting uh, world together is something that still continues because, you know, if you, if you look at uh, sports like football, you look at uh, swimming, you look at all these top sports there, they have introduced policies to ensure that there is no racism anymore. Now, you know, FIFA's anti-racism, which is headed by Tokyo Sequali, didn't just come up as a result of uh, because somebody sat back and said, oh, gee, this would be a nice idea and it's the right thing to do. Mm. This came about because of the fact that they saw the success that South Africa had achieved in, in unifying a country, as Dr. Sammy says, of diverse people and diverse cultures. That's why it came about. You, you had uh, people uh, making fun of players of color in, in football prior to 2000, prior to uh, 1992, but they never did anything to stop it. Mm. Only since South Africa came in has this concept been introduced and it's been very, uh, very well uh, orchestrated and pushed now to see that it's achieved. Mm. But if you go back to your question and you say, uh, how do we improve development? You know, I'll give you an in- interesting statistic. Uh, if you look at probably the top white schools in this country at the moment and see how many of those schools, when I use the white, the old concept of white schools, have football programs uh, for the students or for the population or the children of this country, you'll find very few of them. So. Yes, the children have transformed because the children know no no boundaries. But I don't believe that the hierarchy have transformed with the same pace that they should have. Those facilities should be open to everybody. Mm. Um, You go go to a a country like Costa Rica, education is free for everybody. I understand it's difficult. I understand these things. But there should be nothing that should prevent a child who wants to play sport playing. You know, there are so many more um, things available to children today than there were in, say, the 1980s and the 1990s, 70s or 60s. You have this whole technological uh, environment and industry now. So you say to your son, uh, do you want to go and play football? He says, no, I want to play on my iPad, (laughs) for example. Uh, and, And it's a fact. Yeah. You know, the, the adults of today are not as technically minded as the children. If you have a problem with your iPhone or your iPad, uh, the first person you go to is your child. Whether but the I, child is five I, years I, old or the child is 15, Raymond, I want to tell you how to fix it. I want to deal with the issue of policy really reaching the schools, the rural areas, because as you're saying, there is a slow process in that. Dr. Ransemi, what's your view? How should uh, policymakers and ministers of sports today deal with this problem of development? Because we're still seeing that uh, the football fields are still closed in some areas of our communities and uh, young children are not accessing these environments. What's your view, Doctor? Yeah. Uh, again, the, 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 the gentleman didn't get his name. Hit the nail on the head. The issue is with the hierarchy, not with the sports people themselves. The okay. hierarchy needs transformation and unfortunately that doesn't hap- hasn't yet happened totally. It's happened in 
some sports, but in many sports it does not, hasn't happened yet. But the, the, the how do we get uh, uh, this particular issue over now? You see, the, for instance, let me give you an example. In 1990, prior to 1996, we were going to take another uh, 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 Olympic team to Atlanta. And everybody, I was president of the Olympic Committee then, everybody said, you know, are you going to take a white team again? Are we going to have uh, white people um, uh, getting medals, like happened in 1992, where we had Ilana Meyer, where we had Wayne Ferreira, where we had uh, uh, Peter Noval uh, winning medals for us. Are we going to do the same thing? And I said, look, I didn't tell anybody, but secretly I said, look, there is talent amongst black people. No one knew of Josiah Tuguana before the Olympic Games. We, we realized he had talent. Mm -hmm. We made sure that he got the, the, the right coaching. And the same with Ezekiel Sepeng. No one knew about Ezekiel Sepeng uh, uh, three, four years before the Olympic Games. We utilized that. We provided them the, the opportunities. We provided them with, with all the facilities. But at the same time, we, we realized that Penny Hain was going to get us a medal. Mm -hmm. But then we put so much of uh, resources into it. In the end, she brought us two medals, two mm -hmm. gold medals. In fact, up to now, Penny Haynes holds the Olympic record. She's the only female athlete to have won the 100 and 200 breaststroke. No other uh, uh, athlete. You know, the top uh, swimmers from Australia have not done this. The top swimmers from the United States or any part of Europe have not done I brought this. And, you know, everybody was happy. We got black, two black kids, two white kids uh, bringing medals for yeah, us. Yeah. Now, there is that particular uh, opportunity, and we need to use it. Now, that is what I think, you know, what many of us are pontificating. We talk a lot, we debate a lot, and we do very little in, 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 in effecting what we want to do. And I think in school sport, again, we have a lot of talent. What happens is after school... There's many kids, the, the, the kids who are very, very talented amongst the black kids are lost because there is not enough parental involvement. As mm. I said, because parents with the, uh, um, uh, black kids have to start to work very early in the morning. They don't have enough time. While the white kids have the parental involvement and they progress after um, uh, uh, high school or primary school. And that is where another issue we need. And again, that needs to be addressed by the hierarchy. We mm. can't uh, say, tell the parents, don't go to work. <laughs> and look after your children because then the, both the parents and the children are going to suffer. Mm. And the hierarchy is, is the issue and we, we have the talent among the black kids and we need to do it. One more thing I always said, you know, in, you know all children in South Africa, both black and white, must be provided with opportunities. If, if you look at the cricket team, if we look at the um, uh, rugby team, you know, internationally, we're not doing too badly at all. In fact, mm. we're doing very, very well. Mm. And when we look at them, they're all white. And I said, look, they only come from less than 20% of the population. Can you imagine if we provide that same type of opportunities mm. for the other 80% of the population? We'll have a wonderful team. We'll have a great team. But in the end, if all are given opportunities, and if in the end the selection is fair and equitable, and if the team turns up all white, it turns up all black, if it turns up half white, half black, we are all proud because that is a South African team. Well, that's a fantastic way to end the program today. Thank you, th thank you to Dr. Ah. Sam Ransemi, the International Olympics Committee member. We thank Kujo Amankwa, who's the sports commentator in South Africa. And also we have uh, Raymond Hack, who is the former South African Football Association Chief Executive 
officer. Thank you all for contributing so beautifully to our show today. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Now it's time for us to move on and get our economics update. Amanda Machaka is standing by. Good morning. Lone Moon Platinum Mine in Rustenburg in South Africa's northwest province says that more than 60% of its 28,000 employees want an end to the three-month strike and return to work. Lone Moon and other two major platinum mining companies last week offered workers a total guaranteed package of slightly over $1,000 by July 2017. The union leading the strike, AMCU, on Friday said its members had rejected the offer. However, the union says it's still consulting with its members. Meanwhile, Lonmin has embarked on a campaign to communicate its offer directly to employees, including sending them SMSs. Lonmin's Executive Vice President for Communications, Lerato Mulebazi, explains how they'll expand the campaign. We are using all communication avenues available to us. We're using radio, we're using television, we're using newspaper campaigns. And we're also going to be going into areas where our employees live. So the idea really is is so that our employees know exactly what the offer is. They are employees first, remember, before they are union members. And it is our responsibility to communicate these messages through to them. We cannot guarantee a safe passage for them. If they want to come back to work, they've got to indicate to their union group. Meanwhile, Aquarius Platinum, the world's fourth largest platinum miner, has reported a decline in revenue and core operational earnings for the third quarter from a year earlier. The miner, which operates in South Africa's platinum belt that is prone to labor unrest, says mine earnings before interest, tax and depreciation was $11 million for the quarter ended March. South Africa's Basic Education Department says it's deeply concerned about the reported cash-for-jobs scandal, which allegedly involves members of Teachers' Union Satu. The Teachers' Union has denied any involvement in the scandal and has called on anyone with evidence that its members are involved in the scandal to come forward. A weekend newspaper reports that Satu officials are selling senior education positions to teachers in KwaZulu-Natal, Northwest and in Limbopo province for a minimum of $3,000. The report says the alleged promotions for cash record has led to scores of illegal appointments across the country. The department's Elijah Mklanga says a strong action will be taken against the culprits. Yes, we have heard about those things. Not only that, but as I'm saying, in 2006, we received evidence. People brought the evidence to us, and that's why the person was uh, apprehended. And on the other issues, that it was just allegation, and those allegations were not uh, uh, were not proven. Uh, and clearly, it is that uh, where there's no evidence, you are unable to unearth whatever is happening on the ground. The Eastern Africa Oil, Gas and Energy Conference has officially opened in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi. 400 delegates from across the continent are attending the conference, which opened yesterday. They are representing some 60 oil, gas and energy international companies. Correspondent James Shimanyula reports from Nairobi. South Atlantic Petroleum Sapetro, a Nigerian-based oil and gas exploration and production company, is one of the companies represented in Nairobi at the conference that opened Monday. Sir Petro's general manager in its commercial section is Uzoma Echegri, 
Echegri shed light on the measures that his company has put in place to protect the environment and the people in Nigeria, Republic of Benin, Madagascar and Mozambique where they operate. And the British oil firm BP has raised its quarterly dividend and says further share buybacks are on the cards. This as it posted quarterly profits slightly above focus despite difficulties in Russia. The company has posted underlying replacement cost profit of $3.2 billion in the first quarter, down from $4.2 billion in the same period a year ago, but slightly ahead of a consensus focused of $3.1 billion. The lower profit is the result of a weaker refining environment and lower production as the company has shared assets and after a write-off of $521 million of a decision not to proceed with a project in the shell in Utica in the U.S. And now for a look at our financial indicators, the U.S. dollar trades at 10.63 South African rents, at 8.67 Botswana Pulas, and at 6.25 Zambian Quatches. It's also trading at 0.59 to the British pound and at 0.72 to the euro. On to commodities, gold is trading at $1,294 and platinum at $1,410 an ounce. And finally, the price of print crude oil is at $108.65 a barrel. And that's how it's looking at this hour. Musibudi Makura is with us to give us our sports update. Thank you, Benjamin. Starting off with soccer news, Real Madrid midfielder Gareth Bale is fed Fortnite's Champions League semi-final second leg against defending champions Bayern Munich. Bale was rested for the league win, but is expected to feature in the starting lineup in tonight's match. The match takes place at the Alanis Arena in Munich. Madrid hold a narrow lead to Germany for the second leg thanks to a first-half goal from Karim Benzema a week ago. Gareth Bale says it will be a difficult game despite their one-nil advantage. I feel like we've qualified yet. We've still got a very, very hard game uh, here against Bayern to come. So um, yeah, there's, uh, it's going to be a difficult game no matter what. I think it, the, the score is one-nil. I don't think really that makes too much difference, but. Um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. We know it's going to be a difficult game and we know it's a, it's a big job at hand. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can do the job and get to the final. The Namibia Brave Gladiators will travel to Germany on the 18th of May for a series of friendly matches as they continue preparations for the upcoming CAF African Women's Championship, which will be held in Namibia in October this year. After they 2-0 win over the touring German side Westerfelium under-18 team at the Sam Giovanni Stadium on Wednesday, the Gladiators were released from camp and are only expected back on the 10th of May. Namibia Football Association Women's Desk Jackie Kutzer says they respect South Africa's withdrawal for a friendly match but hopes when they return from Germany they can secure more continental friendlies just to measure their readiness and see where they can improve and what they can expect during the championships in South Africa. In October rather. 
Now on to tennis news. South Africa's Khotato Monjane says she is looking forward to participate in the airport's company South Africa SO Open, which is currently underway at Ellis Park Stadium in Johannesburg. Monjane is more than determined to claim a home victory after she was defeated in the finals of the Gauteng Open on Sunday. Monjane was beaten 4-6-6-2-6-2 by German world number one Sabine Ellerbrock. Monjane says she will give it her all at the SA Open. There are a lot of things to take from these tournaments. So at least I'm living here with a lot of confidence other than a sad face. So pretty much looking forward to it. And finally on to volleyball news. Kenya Prison's four-year dominance in the Africa Women's Volleyball Club Championships finally came to an end last weekend with the last two GS Petroliers of Algeria in the final played at the Sidi Bossard Hall in Tunis, Tunisia. The Kenyan Warders lost in straight, in straight sets of 30-28, 25-15, 25-9 to the title they have held since 2010. Channel Africa's Francis Mutegi is in Arabi, Kenya and filed this report. This was GSP's only second title. GSP gained revenge on prisons who trounced them in last year's final. The other Kenyan club pipeline clinched the bronze medal after seeing off Kadhaj from Tunisia three sets to one in sets of 25-20, 25-14, 19-25 and 25-22. Well, those are your sports news at the Sawa. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue. And remember, we want you to interact with us. Go to our African Dialogue uh, Twitter handle, at African Dialogue. And remember, we also have another handle here, at Channel Africa, at Channel Africa 1. That's African Dialogue and at Channel Africa 1. And remember that uh, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And remember, you can interact with us via Facebook. There is a, a Facebook page titled Channel Africa. And also, we want to hear your views about today's topic. Do you think that uh, sports plays a role in our various countries? Let us know. And how does it do so? Plus 27823325905. Plus 27823325. And just a reminder that on tomorrow's show, we'll be looking at the elections, the build-up to the elections in May 7 in South Africa. So that's all from me, Benjamin Mushatama, for today's African Dialogue.